This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the Thornhill College Sleep Study Program. What we do here, in effect, is count boners. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, we enter a dreamland (laughs) with 1984's Dreamscape and the year 2000's (laughs) The Cell. But before we get into the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Give me what you got. What is the profession of Mitch Brenner in 1968's The Birds? What is the profession of Mitch Brenner? Trying to remember. God. Okay, there was a teacher. You want me to give you a hint? Sure. Do you remember the conversation that he has with his mother and his little sister? And what she calls his clients? Oh, yeah, he's a lawyer. That is correct. That's right, yeah. Of course, clients kind of gave it away, but I do remember that conversation. <laughs> she thinks they're all scum or whatever it is Thugs, she says. I think. <laughs> Thugs, yeah. Something like that. Oh, Mom, please. I know all that democracy jazz. They're still hoods. Well, it's really, 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 really funny that that's the question that you asked me. Okay. In The Birds, 1968, (laughs) what color is the iconic outfit protagonist Melanie Daniels wears while trapped in Bodega Bay? Day. (laughs) Bodega. Is it green? It is green. I can see see the the cover. Right. Ah! But I might have guessed blue, I think. That's where my mind probably would have gone first, but it's absolutely green. Good job. I would like to remind our listeners that this was a recommendation by Miss Sunshine from Twitter, and she asked us to do Dreamscape. And I'm real sorry for what I'm about to say about your recommendation there, Miss Sunshine. Oh, man, are you ready for how loaded this conversation is going to (laughs) be? All right. Dreamscape from 1980. A four. Story by David Lowry. Screenplay written by David Lowry, Chuck Russell, and Joseph Rubin. Directed by Joseph Rubin. Starring Dennis Quaid, Max von Sydow, Sydow, Sidoy? (laughs) Christopher Plummer, Kate Capshaw, and Norm! George Wendt. Norman. Evening, everybody. Norm! <laughs> what is Dreamscape about? Dennis Quaid is a, a telekinetic, but also he can read minds. Telepathic. Telepathic. Yes. I don't know. He can do a lot of things. I don't think he's ever demonstrated telekinesis. No, they say that. They were okay. starting to test him on telekinesis, okay. and he was like, fuck this, and he left. Yeah. He's got all these powers, and he uses them to make money off of 
like the races and he makes and he's a womanizer and this company that used to do testing on him wants him to come back because now they've found a way for him to enter into people's dreams and usually they're nightmares. And then we don't find out why they want to do this until the end of the movie. Well, why the particular person wants to do this. Okay, were you seriously not sitting there for most of the movie being like, what's the benefit? Why? Like, I guess curing kids of nightmares. It's a therapeutic one, yeah, uh-huh. Getting to the reason why people are in comas and stuff like that. It's That makes sense. Yeah. I will get to my one-sentence synopsis of this after the break because it's a little bit of a spoiler. Should people watch the movie, Kelsey? I'm glad I saw it because I had never heard of it. I'd heard of it. I'd just never seen it. It's an interesting idea. Yeah. I don't like what happens in it. it okay, I, I guess I should just say it. There's oh yeah, content warning. It, it's very rapey. There, there's essentially a, a, a rape in this film that we, are, the audience, are not supposed yeah. to consider a rape, and we're supposed to be stoked that they're getting together. Yeah, and she even calls him out on it, but then like, oh, whatever, all's forgiven. It's super problematic, but I understand that like she wanted to be with him but she had reasons not to be yeah it's still it's it's still a matter of consent that was not given exactly and that that and not just that like i i didn't really enjoy the film but that completely soured it for me right it's the good parts of this movie are not worth the bad parts i guess like if you can accept the fact that that's going to happen in this movie and like mentally edit it out of the film because it it's absolutely unnecessary. It's totally unnecessary. You could take it out of the movie and lose nothing. Mm-hmm. It's a fun little adventure, I would say. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it is ridiculous, but like in an eighties sort of fun way. And what's really funny is that it came out the same year as Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. And I could swear that it took- Stole ideas. Stole ideas. It uh, stole lines. Some person who can travel into dreams claims to be God. Yeah. Like- it's weird. Like I'm yeah. like when Chris told me that it came out the same year as Nightmare, I was like, what? And I and I think technically before it. That's crazy. Like a couple months before it. It's really weird. So it's not even like, you know, Nightmare came out in the beginning of the year and then this came out at the end of the year and they could have filmed the whole exactly. fucking thing in the meantime. No. And don't come back at me and be like, well, then clearly Nightmare stole it. Because, I, you know what? If Nightmare did. No, I don't think either of them stole anything from the other one. It's just bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. But if it did, sorry, Nightmare on Elm Street is a million times better. So It is. It is. Uh, For those of you wondering, yes, it is a multi-genre film. (laughs) It is a drama. It is a comedy. It's kind of a romance. It's an adventure movie. And it's a horror movie. It is very much similar in style to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. In fact, they're poster look i wrote that down here the cover looks like an indiana jones movie he's even wearing a brown jacket that i don't think he actually wears in the movie although he does wear a jacket in the movie they make it look like indiana jones's jacket it is it is definitely a ripoff of the imagery from temple of doom yeah yeah interestingly enough kate capshaw also 
in Temple of Doom. Yep. Also, it has somebody holding a beating heart. Yeah. In both movies. Yeah. And they both came out in 1984. <laughs> so there you go. I don't know what this movie is doing, like, <laughs> ripping off from other movies that it couldn't possibly have ripped off, but <laughs> it's happening. So what's your answer? I, I Should people watch it? Probably not. I think if you're in the mood, if you can, if you can mentally edit that part of the movie out and you can be prepared to see it and it's not going to affect you negatively, then yeah, it's fun. It's not particularly amazing. It's not particularly, like... Woo, it's a fun adventure and it's a thrill a minute and it's not particularly funny, but it is funny. <laughs> it's it's not particularly scary, but there are horror elements. Like it's it's a lot of genres and it doesn't do any of them particularly well. <laughs> I guess is the problem. I'm so sorry, Miss Sunshine. <laughs> Sorry, I would too. love to love this movie, and I think it's fun, and I probably would have loved it had I seen it when I was a little kid. Yeah, I gotta say, Miss Sunshine, when I when you f- sent that, I was really excited for this movie. Yeah. And then it was just... There's a lot of preamble we're going over with this. Let's stop <laughs> qualifying it. Okay. You can take our advice or leave it, and again, I'm sorry if we upset any of you for bad-mouthing a classic movie that you love, but you can watch it or not, and when we get back, we will talk about 1984's Dreamscape. The last unknown region of the human mind is about to be explored. The world of your dreams. The passion. The nightmare. The mystery. When you close your eyes, the adventure begins. Dreamscape, rated PG-13, starts Wednesday at a selected theater near you. All right, I'm just going to get this out here right now. The premise is, the president is being attacked by dream assassins. Are you a bad enough dude to rescue the president? (laughs) That's legitimately the, the call to action at the beginning of the video game Bad Dudes. The president has been kidnapped. Are you a bad enough dude to rescue the president? That's what this is. It's basically that. But instead of being kidnapped, he's being attacked by dream assassins. They literally use the term dream knives. (laughs) Okay, so like. What happens in the movie? Well, what I was going to say is like there are movies that I'm pretty sure took ideas from this. Absolutely. Inception. Yeah. And it's, it's remarkable how much. This aligns with our second movie, The Cell, and how different they are in tone. And that's another thing I was going to say. The Cell, I'm pretty damn sure that whatever his name is, I can never remember yeah. his name, he definitely saw this. Well, yeah, um, Tarsan Singh, who made The Cell, he didn't write it, though. But it's like, it's very much what if Dreamscape oh. and Seven had a baby. Well, then whoever the writer is. Mark Protasevich. Protasevich? I don't know. He made the Old Boy remake. He's credited for the story for Thor, the original Thor movie from 2011. He wrote I Am Legend. This was his first actual screenplay, Cell. But that's a different movie. We're not talking about the Cell right now. But But yeah, yeah, he he definitely saw this. He saw this, yes. All right, Kelsey, so what happens in Dreamscape? 
We open on a dream of a woman screaming out the name John and, like, running towards him. I did not understand what I was seeing there. Did you understand what we were supposed to be seeing in that dream? He has constant nightmares about a nuclear holocaust. That's kind of this whole running thing that is happening in this film that oh, they yeah. forget about most yeah, of the no, time. Yeah, no, he's the president and he's worried about causing a nuclear holocaust. I had no clue what his dreams were until they told me. It's like a Terminator 2 end of the world thing. I understand that, but I, you're in dreamland and I'm just supposed to understand that this was a nuclear holocaust for all I, I fucking had, know. That's just his nightmares. I had no problem no understanding what I was going on. Not, I, I grokked to that, like, immediately. I had no idea. So he wakes up. We find out that he is the president, okay? Then we meet the doctors. So there is Dr. Paul Novotny. That is Max von Sydow who you may know as Emperor Ming, the merciless Ming from Flash Gordon. He's uh, the director of the Minority Report program in Minority Report. Uh, he's the dude from the Seventh Seal who plays chess with the death. He's, he's a lot of things. You absolutely know him. Also, there is Dr. Jane DeVries. DeVries? That's Kate Capshaw. I told you what you know her from. She's also married to Steven Spielberg. Her husband is Steven Spielberg. Is that how they met? They were married in 91. So, like, seven years after Temple of Doom was made. Lucky her. Yeah. (laughs) And we also find a man named Bob Blair. He's not a doctor, but he's a very important man who has a lot of power. the whole thing. Yes. We only know him vaguely as some sort of government agent, we find out, but we never find out more than that. But he's probably the head of the NSA or the CIA or some shit like that. (laughs) Uh, That's played by Christopher Plummer. Christopher Plummer, you also know. You know him as John Paul Getty, it is John Paul, J. Paul Getty. That is John, right? I can't remember. J. Paul Getty in All the Money name. in the World. He's the guy who took over for uh, Fuckhead McGee when he was kicked off Kevin Spacey. He's also a voice in the Elder Scrolls Skyrim. People who watch Skyrim know that. He plays Charles Muntz in Up. So you probably know him from that. He's been around for a very long time. He's been making movies since the early 50s. And they need to to get together a team, we find out, as well. And they decide that the best person for this job is Alex Gardner, Dennis Quaid. Mm -hmm. But Max von Sydow mentions uh, he's in the wind. He ran away, and we haven't talked to him in years. We have no idea where he is. And Christopher Plummer is like, don't worry, I can find him. I'll get him. If you convince him to do this, I can get him. (laughs) So, continue. And so they're telling us how great and amazing he is, that he's an authentic genius with telekinesis, etc. Etc. And then we see him at the track trying to make money. But these people come after him because they want in on it. They've noticed that he always makes big, big winnings and they, they figure he has some sort of in and they want it. 
which is the only reason that he agrees to go with the government agents because he's like being chased down by these these thugs. Well, they're also we also find out when he gets uh, when he sees the thugs and he gets in the car of the government agent and he gets taken and and Christopher Plummer talks to him or Max von Sydow. I can't remember which one. I think it's Christopher Plummer is like you you're also being audited and they're going to be curious about all your Well, that's your later. That's But I'm saying the motivation for him to do it, you talked about. This is also part of that. They well, can make I, that go away. I was just away. saying that's why he got in the car with them. But yes, Chris is correct. When he gets to the place and he sees the doctor that he knows, they're talking, they're catching up, and he, and he tells him, this is what I want you for. Will you do it? And he's basically just like, no, I'm not going to fucking do it. And they're like, oh... Well, in that case, you're going to be audited. Yeah. And I'm awfully sorry about this IRS business, too. What? Oh, maybe I didn't mention it to you. But you see, while we were searching for you, our government sources took quite an interest in your gambling winnings. And I think the IRS is figuring on about a five-year audit. What? What? If you could see your way clear to join this program, I might be able to do something about it. I would like to point out that throughout this movie, we are in electronical hell. Music-wise. Yes, so... Like, I wrote it down, like, during the chase scene. I was just like, what the fuck? And then it just continued throughout the entire film. So the music is by uh, Maurice Jarre, who insisted that it all be done electronically. Originally, he was asked to do it with an orchestra, and he's like, no, it must be done electronically, because this is all like pseudoscience and dreams, and it needs to feel dreamlike, and blah, 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 blah. And it was a bad choice. <laughs> so... Uh, he looks in on when they are doing one of their Into the Dreamland things, and he's been prepped, he's been told, uh, you're about to see this guy going into this kid's dreams, which have been really, really bad, and we haven't been able to fix them. The little boy is refusing to sleep because of how bad his nightmares are, and yeah. so he's on the verge of, like, a breakdown, um, and so they keep forcing him to do it, and Dennis Quaid watches, and when they wake them up, the guy who went in to work with the kid is completely catatonic. Seeing what this kid's dream was made him go catatonic. Dennis Quaid ends up, like, befriending this kid, because he's really interested to go into this kid's dreams, because he recognizes that this kid is being terrorized. He sees drawings. He sees a drawing of, like, a cobra man. And he's worried about him. So he's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to be your pal. I'm going to help you out if you need anything. If you need to talk to anybody, you can talk to me. And he's it's really sweet. And he's not, like, condescending at all. He's like, I'm actually on your side. I'm not one of these doctors. Yeah. You know. Meanwhile... The chick from Temple of Doom, like, runs in, and she's the one that puts an end to it, and she's the one that runs to help the little boy, because she's a woman, and women are all nurturers. 
After that, he's agreed to stay on, and we meet... David Patrick Kelly, who you know from a lot of things, but whenever I see him, I can only ever think of him from his first movie role in 1979 as Luther from The Warriors. He's the one who says, Warriors, come out and play, yay! That's him, and he's the one who clinks the bottles together. He's been in a lot of other things, too, uh, including uh, The Crow, which is another place where you might actually know him from. He was in uh, the new season of Twin Peaks. He was in John Wick. He plays a character called Charlie. He's been in a lot of things, and he's very, very recognizable. Yes. And he does not like that they're bringing in Dennis Quaid. He wants to be the only one that can do it. He loves being having all the attention. And then later we'll find out that he also murdered his parents. So he's a crazy fuck. Yeah. And he is like, he's in Dennis Quaid's room and he's like playing his saxophone and like rifling through all of his stuff. And he's a real dick. And it's obvious right away that he is going to be a major source of opposition to Dennis Quaid. But Dennis Quaid is just too cool for school and he can't be phased by him. It's true. Around here somewhere, there's a scene where he's walking with Jane uh, through the halls and she's explaining what they do here. And, and what they do is they treat sleep disorders. They've created a mechanism whereby people who are telepathic can enter the dreams of people and experience the dream with them. And through this method, they can help find out exactly what's going on in their dreams, and maybe that can go a long way to treating any any uh, problems that they have and go into their therapy or whatever. It treats general sleep disorders and that sort of thing. And she mentions that one of the things that they can do is they can find the source of impotence if it's <laughs> if it's physical or psychological. And he's like, what do you mean? It's like, well, when you sleep, she can tell – uh, if it's psychological, because during your sleep, you'll usually get three or four erections. And he says, so, Jane, what you do here, in effect, is count boners. <laughs> uh, that was pretty funny. Yes. <laughs> so, Jane, what you do here, in effect, is count boners. So we he finally gets to do his first dream. And the graphics, oh my god. I wrote, oh no. Yeah. This, this is going to have a lot of bad blue screen, isn't it? And it this does. Is back when it was blue screen. Uh, Fisheye lens, expressionistic set design. It's certainly interesting and very 80s. <laughs> but he comes in on this guy's nightmare and he uh, is afraid of heights. He is afraid that he is going to fall off of the scaffolding of a skyscraper is being built. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Dennis Quaid has to save him, but he doesn't. So he doesn't fall to his death, but he is falling and then he wakes up. Because in this movie, if you die in the dream, you die for real. Don't fall asleep. If you die in your dreams, you die for real. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to mention that I have had falling dreams. They are scary. I don't really remember most of my dreams. I know you don't, but I remember most of my dreams. I don't know why. I had, I had, did you have any recurring nightmares when you were a kid? Tons. Well, for example. 
Nothing too revealing. The one that stuck out the most in my memory? Yeah. I'm in a small but tall room, Mm -hmm. and it's all just white. There is a giant beetle. I can still see it in my head. Uh Uh-huh. There's a giant beetle on one uh, wall, and there's a giant spider on the other wall. Uh Uh-huh. And they are saying my name. Oh, Jesus, fuck. (laughs) Um, But it's in like a... Have you ever heard like what a cicada sounds like? Yeah. They're talking like that. Ooh. And I'm just stuck in there and I'm terrified. But they're not doing anything? I'm sure they did, but that's what I remember the most. Hmm. My recurring nightmare that I had when I was a kid, especially when I was younger, I would get these anxiety attacks was like around bedtime usually. And... I don't know if this is representative of that or what, but uh, one of my major neuroses while I'm awake is that I am super acrophobic. And in this dream, I'm in a room or I enter a room and it is huge. It is an enormous room, but there is a bottomless pit for a floor. And there is a very thin, narrow walkway all the way around the sides. And the exit to this room is on the other side. And at one end of this room is like a throne or a chair of some sort. And there is a, like a large man in it. And as I'm trying to walk across this room, he expands and expands and expands. Imagine Brenda from Slither. And eventually occupies the whole room and is smothering smothering me against the wall and I wake up. So that like combines my two things. I'm very claustrophobic and I'm very acrophobic. And so like the bottomless pit is my acrophobia and the smothering is is my claustrophobia. It's this weird combination of things. I can't believe you've never told me this. I've, I have certainly told you that. You have never told I me that. I absolutely have. I would remember that. Well, maybe you just don't love me enough to remember. Clearly. <laughs> anyway, when he wakes up, he's not afraid anymore. He's just like, oh my God, that was the most incredible experience. Yes. Um, and he can't wait to do it again. And it's important to note that the guy remembers him. Like, the guy had never seen him, I don't think, beforehand, or maybe he did. He didn't seem to recognize him in the dream. He's just like, some dude, help me, you know, or whatever. But then outside of the dream, he's like, yeah, he really was in my dream. Well, yeah, I mean, people talk about how they become conscious in dreams a lot. Yeah, uh, waking dreams or whatever they call it. That would be the Lucid only. Dreams. That would be the only way that I think you would recognize the person in your yeah, dream, uh-huh. especially because you have to be aware that you're asleep. I can remember ninety percent of my dreams, and I can tell you right now, the few times that I've become conscious that oh my god, I'm in a dream, I mm. wake up. Yeah. So I totally get that he could be in his dream and he could not have any recognition because he doesn't. He's not even aware that he is dreaming. I think I'm always vaguely aware I'm in a dream. But never enough to where I'm like, well, let me try to fly now. I'm always still constrained by the reality of the dream. And most of my nightmares that aren't recurring involve like trying to get away from something. And I can't. I'm so jealous of people that have flying dreams. No, I never have a flying dream. I've never had one There's probably a reason. Hey, listen, if any of you out there are dream analysts, tell us what any of this means. 
I can tell you a recurring nightmare I have as an adult. Yeah? Thankfully, I haven't had it in a while. Well, there's two. And one of them is very obvious. It's because I was in a really bad car accident a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. And I would dream that I was about to hit the car over and over and over again. Oh, and Jesus, I would, fuck. Oh, yeah. And I would wake up in a panic, almost like about to scream. God, that, that kind of stuff, like, you know, as everyone, it just instantly kicks in my adrenaline. And, whew, God, that's not a great feeling. <laughs> but there's another one that I don't have any reason for understanding. It actually makes me nervous when I chew gum now. I have this recurring nightmare. I haven't had it in a long time, so that's good. Where gum gets all stuck in my teeth and my mouth. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how much I pull it out. I can't get it out. Is that like related in some way to nightmares that people talk about having where they like, like their teeth fall out? Maybe, but my, my teeth don't fall out. It's just that I can't get the gum out. Yeah. I've woken up to myself spitting on myself trying to get it out. Interesting. Of I've I've never had like a oh, I have an assignment due dream or I'm naked in front of class. I've never had any of those dreams. Neither have I. I didn't have a lot of anxiety centered around school in anyway, so I don't know why I would, but uh anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the movie at hand. So he also enters the dream of the young boy to give it a shot. This is one of those things where it's like, no, we don't want to send anybody into this dream because it, it like put this other guy into a coma. It's very, very dangerous, obviously. And Dennis Quaid's like, no, I think I can do it. I can handle this. I'm the most powerful telepath that you have. Uh, I can do this. And they agree. And, you know, he does have this really good rapport with the kid. And so he goes into this kid's nightmare and he sees that the kid is obviously afraid right away and they get attacked from outside. He's in a room in a house, and they get attacked from outside. Something attacks them. And his dad's there, but doesn't help at all, and is also aggressive, I think, if I remember correctly. This was a set designer's dream. Yeah, this is where, when I talk about the how expressionistic, the expressionistic set design. That's very cool. Oh, it, it's the best part of the dreams. Yes. The fisheye lens and the bad blue screen. No, 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 no. <laughs> the set design is incredible. I love it. The, the fucking, uh, the, the rubber suit is so bad. So we end up coming across the snake man. Oh, it's really, really bad. And, and then, this is supposed to be the scariest thing of the film. Yeah. And and then when he actually has to fight it, um, when it's like a far away shot, so not when it's like a close-up where we get the rubber suit, it's a far away shot. Oh, God. It looks like claymation. It's claymation. Yeah. And there's a fight with the, clayma- with the claymation monster a little later, too, like an actual fight with him. But in this one, he's struggling with this snake man, and he has to convince buddy this little boy to fight back now it's difficult for the kid when it's just him and the snake man but when he is in like a grasp with this snake man buddy is can feel free to actually attack him freely and he's more confident because his friend is there so he does and they end up destroying the snake man and presumably buddy is cured of this nightmare after this and he can get whatever other psychological help that he needs. He's gone. He's gone. We killed him. We killed him. Sure did, buddy. Sure did. We did it. He's gone. You did it, buddy. 
You killed him. So awesome. Randy Quaid is feeling fucking great. And he just keeps having these successes, like, left and right. Well, you missed one of his other successes. You skipped over the dream that he went into of the guy who's afraid that his wife's cheating on him. Oh, right. <laughs> we can just go through this one really quickly. But the guy's – he insists that his wife's cheating on him, and then they find her cheating on him with his brother – in like the most bizarre, it's like there's carnival music and there's yeah. gay sex happening and, and then, there's well, children he, and there's red lights. Yeah, he looks underneath the bed and there's like every man he's ever known in his life is having an affair with his wife. Yes. And so obviously he has this fear that his wife is cheating on him and that's, <laughs> what's, that's what's plaguing him. So this is the benefit of being able to enter people's dreams. Not necessarily always the buddy stuff where you can literally fight against a monster in their dreams in order to help them. And in fact, Buddy did gain a lot of confidence that way and that was a lot of his problem. But you can you can zero in on what's troubling patients that don't otherwise know how to express why they're upset. So yeah, helps this guy out. And, and this is this is Dennis Quaid just getting success after success after success. And he feels so good that when he comes across Kate Capshaw in her office, he sits down. Before that, yeah. he hits on her. Yeah. And he knows she's interested in him because she he can read her mind. Yeah. They've already established that. Like earlier, he was like, yes, I find you attractive. And she was like, what? And he's like, Oh, I yeah, know you doing, were wondering, so I want to tell you. When they're doing tests about, yeah. And he's not very engaged in the test, and she's like, come on, you're not even trying, try. And then he gets them all right. Like, so it does, yeah, it's, it shows how attached he is to the real world and how serious he is, and that, yes, they're attracted to each other. And he hits on her, and she basically says, I'm not going to bed with you, because A, I'm not a conquest for you, because he he's a womanizer, he sleeps yeah. with everybody. God. And then she says, and our working relationship comes first for me. That's just way, the right. way I am. There are two reasons why I'm not going to go to bed with you. First of all, I don't want to join the ranks of your conquest. You're not a conquest. That's not the way I feel about you, Jane. Secondly, I don't want to jeopardize our working relationship. This program has got to come first. Okay. That should be enough. Like, that is... It's not even that she didn't give consent to what happens next. It's that she actively told him no and gave him reasons. Whether they're reasonable reasons or not, which they are, she even supported her no, which she shouldn't even have to. Mm -hmm. But like, this is a this is a very clear and direct no, mm -hmm. the opposite of consent. So when he comes across her sleeping on her couch in her office he sits down in a chair next to her and he's going to be like, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot since I know I can read minds already. What if I didn't have this machine there? And he actually does successfully enter her dream where they proceed to have sex. And she fully in control of her own capabilities decides, oh, great. This is a great opportunity to have a fling with him without actually having to sleep with him. Because it's just in my dream and he's not real. Exactly. She has zero idea that he is in the room with her. Yes. So when they have sex and then she wakes up, she is obviously super pissed. Mm -hmm. And she is right to be upset. He violated her. Mm -hmm. And it is 
not okay. And it's like immediate turnoff for this movie. And I'm sorry if we're being all SJW about this. I don't think you need to be a social justice warrior to recognize that this is rape and rape is bad. <laughs> like, and we should not be like cool with the main character doing this because really she wanted to have sex with him. She was attracted to him. And his he was like, oh, well, you're missing the big picture here. I was able to enter your dream without the technology. And that's what she then gets excited about. But he also says. Yeah, she makes excuses for him. Yeah, but he also says, but come on, really? Was it that bad? Right. It's just like, that Jesus. Is awful. Jesus. Awful. I am sorry to the people who are listening to this. And this dredges up things for them. This is a this is a lighthearted comedy adventure with some horror elements, and you sh- you should not have to deal with something like this in this movie. It is just a victim of being so eighties. Mm-hmm. It really hurts because of this. Yes. And the more I talk about it, the more upset I get. Yeah. But yeah, she does make excuses. I mean, oh, I, well, was I already- guess we are attracted to you, and it wasn't really like it was sex. Might as well have been. Yeah. I mean, like I was. <laughs> I was already not really liking it because of the bad effects and the bad music and... It was a silly comedy. But yeah, I was like, hey, whatever. And then this happened and I was like, I don't... I feel like we need to establish the horror element here too because so far it sounds like we're talking about a comedy adventure and it is, very much is. But there, there's real danger and there's especially danger coming up later in these dreams and there, a lot of these dreams are frightening, and you're dealing with... They're supposed to be frightening, is the problem. Sure. And there's monsters that he fights, and it there it's just like, it turns a knob, and tick, 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 it's over in horror mode now. And tick, 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 it's a comedy, and tick, 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 it's an adventure movie. Like, so it's kind of all over the place, but there are definitely horror elements to this movie. So they move on past this and their relationship is stronger. And I guess they're dating now. Whatever. Meanwhile, the guy who works for the president is talking about how the president is going to emasculate the country because he is going to go and lay a what's it called? He's no going to denuclearize yes. the country mm-hmm. because he has these fears about a nuclear holocaust. Mm-hmm. Like being the cause of it. Yeah, and and how it's his fault and he's going to he's going to destroy the world at the very least thousands of lives. Which uh, would be a scary thing. Like yeah. if I was the president, that would be something I would be concerned about. Yeah, it would about. be a great responsibility to be in charge of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I mean great as in large, not great as in awesome. <laughs> so we know that there are dreams. And so Bob, we find out, is friends with the president. And is like, well, you know what? We are funding this dream thing. You should come in. Now, one thing we haven't been talking about is that George Went has been following – Dennis Quaid throughout this movie showing up like at the bar where he goes to with Max von Sydow and all of that and uh, eventually makes contact with him and is like there's something going on there's something sinister this Bob guy is real bad news and eventually they meet at like a college quad or something like that and he tells him they're gonna try to assassinate the president Uh, you need to stop this. And at this moment, they are cornered from all sides of the quad by these government agents. And as they approach, 
like a basketball game or something gets out. And so the place floods with people. And Dennis Quaid and George Went end up getting separated. And in the crowd, one of these agents kills George Went. So what little we got of him, he's now dead. And now Randy Quaid really knows that, yes, it's absolutely serious. And so he needs to get away from these agents. And so the next time he comes across them, there's this whole chase scene. There's this whole chase sequence thing. And they get out to the racetrack <laughs> where he runs into those the the thugs again and he's like yes fine i will include you but you have to do something for me there's these guys chasing me you need to stall them <laughs> and so they do but eventually they're on the racetrack and he's riding a dirt bike and they're chasing after him with cars on this racetrack and it is ridiculous it is super ridiculous <laughs> There's a lot of ridiculous things. When he when he grabs the bike, all I could think of was, I'm going to steal your honey like I stole your bike. <laughs> I wrote that down. <laughs> also, we should mention, during all of this, we find out that the dick guy who can also go into people's dreams is working for the government agent. Yes. And he is prepping him to go in and, and assassinate the president. Yes. And during all this, in the meantime, Bob has Max von Sydow killed. So now George Went and Max von Sydow are dead. The other dream warrior is in a coma. Um, <laughs> so it's just Dennis Quaid and Cape Capshaw against a government conspiracy to kill the president. <laughs> After we find out that the president's going to show up, before Max von Sydow dies, um, Christopher Plummer insists that he have a very particular room and that particular room be prepped. And Max von Sydow's like, it doesn't make sense. There's this other room. It, it's much more secure. It's much uh, closer to where we need him to be and all that. And he's like, too bad, too late. It's already been prepped. We come to find out that that's because that room is right next door to David Patrick Kelly's room, the dream assassin. <laughs> Who's going to kill him with dream knives? Yes, he, he has like a hand with claws. He's essentially Freddy. Yeah. Uh -huh. I mean, essentially. And then when he's in the dream, he says, in here, I'm God. Yeah. Uh huh. In this world, you're nothing, Alex. And me, I'm God. Just like this is God. Yeah. Please, God. This is God. What they also know, though, because Kate Capshaw and Dennis Quaid find out where the president is going to be, is that... He is right above Kate Capshaw's office. And so both Dennis Quaid and David Patrick Kelly enter the dream of the president. And it's like a destroyed world because he killed everyone. And there are zombies coming after them. Yeah, and at one point they're being chased by, like, rabid dogs with, like, red eyes. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is actually kind of good. And then in walks Rubber Snake Man again. I'm just like, yes. oh, my God, why? So because... Who looked at that and said, yes, I want that in my movie? Yes. So Tommy Ray, David Patrick Kelly's character... He saw the pictures that were in Buddy's room, and he knows what Buddy was so terrified of, and he knows what Dennis Quaid was traumatized by. He turns into this snake man in order to defeat Dennis Quaid. And so they fight. And this is where the claymation stuff comes in. Oh, ah. Yeah. Man, 
it would have been great in the 50s and 60s. <laughs> it is 1984. <laughs> there is no – well, there is an excuse. It's 1984. <laughs> they do some weird shit in movies back then. So because Tommy Ray turns into the snake man, Alex Dennis Quaid realizes, hey, I can turn into things too. And one of the things that he knows is that Tommy killed his parents. One of the reasons he killed his parents is because his father was an awful father. The president takes this opportunity to run him through with yeah. some pole object. It makes, yeah, and it makes Tommy hesitate, and then the president kills him. Yes. And so Dennis Quaid, Alex basically shares with the president, Mr. President, that, uh, like, what's going on. They're and trying how, to kill you in your dreams. Bob Blair is trying to kill you. So they get out of the dream. There's a confrontation between the president and Bob. And Bob's like, you know, Mr. President, there's nothing you can do about this. Because what, somebody's going to believe you that I tried to kill you in your dreams? Like, what are you going to say? What are you going to do? And the president just leaves because he has his men there and Bob has his men there. And they're like, neither of them is willing to actually take action. And that's what Bob's counting on. Mm -hmm. And the president thanks Alex. And Alex is like, no, don't. It's fine. I just want to be a normal person. I want to disappear. Like, fuck, I'm out of here. Uh, we also find out that... Bob ends up dying, and I I don't know if we actually see it happen, but I think the implication is that they went into his dream and, and caused him to die, whether they killed him there or they let him die or something like that, and so he died in real life, but Bob dies. And then they get on a train, Alex and Jane, which mirrors the one that they were on that they had sex in, mm -hmm. that he raped her in, in her dream. And they're like, oh, yeah, now we can actually have sex. And the ticket taker comes by, and it's the same ticket taker that was in her dream. And they're like, what? Yeah, End it's of weird. Movie. I was like, what is that supposed to mean? Is this Inception? <laughs> Are they still in the dreamscape? Right? I think it's just supposed to be a joke. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie. That is dreamscape. Lightning round, Kelsey. At the very beginning, there is a distorted version of uh, Beautiful Dreamer, which I did enjoy. Yeah. Aside, uh, aside from all the other horrible music that's in this movie. <laughs> the movie was rated PG-13, which I mentioned because it was one of the first movies to be rated PG-13 after Red Dawn. And if you go back and listen to our recording of Gremlins, we talk about the history of the PG-13 rating with that and Temple of Doom. So... Go back and listen to that episode if you want to hear more. Now that I mentioned Gremlins, I should probably point out we just found out that as of our as of this recording, Dick Miller just passed away at age 90. He's the WWII guy from Gremlins, both Gremlins movies, uh, which we talked about like six weeks ago or so. And we also talked about The Howling, which he's in, and The Burbs, which he's in, Joe Dante movies. He was fucking awesome. And 
really, really enjoyed every time we saw him. That's why we made a point of talking about it in the show. Yeah, we talked about him in each one. Yeah, because we just He's loved great. the guy. Yeah, and it's really sad to hear that he passed away. He did live a very long life, and he was apparently a great guy. It's one of the reasons why Joe Dante put him in all of his movies is because he really had a blast working with him. And... He's awesome, and you should watch any movie he's in. He's a he's a big character actor, so you're going to find him in a lot of small parts in a lot of movies. So rest in peace, Dick Miller. You were totally, totally cool, and we were sad to hear you passed away. That little aside aside, one last thing I have. Do you have anything else? There's a lot of really bad costumes in this movie. Yeah. Especially the ones that Dennis Quaid wears. He, like, wears an awful sweater and jeans in the beginning, and it looks so bad. In the dream when he he rapes her, he's wearing, like, a white satin button-up shirt and tight white pants. Yeah. It is some interesting costuming choices. And he gave himself those clothes, so, like, he goes into a dream and he... Gives himself those clothes, like... I think the idea is that that he's supposed to be dressed as she would want him dressed. No, but he comes into the dream, like, he controls himself. Mm. So, not the world, but he controls himself. That would be my assumption, anyway. There's a line in the movie somewhere, I can't remember what it was, but I wrote it down because it was very awkward. I don't know if Dennis Quaid said it or what, but the line is, what he know, bitch... I'm going to have to find it during the edit and play it here because it was way out of place. And I was like, what? What? It's very weird. I think it was Dennis Quaid. What do you know, bitch? Like, <laughs> what, what, huh? <laughs> I, you, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. What did he know, bitch? What did he know? So, Kelsey, what do you think this movie got on Rotten Tomatoes? 50. 77%. Holy shit. Dreamscape mixes several genres. Horror, sci-fi, action, and always maintains a sense of adventure and humor. I should point out that it has an audience score of 46%. I think opinion has turned on this movie in time. Mm. Not necessarily that critics loved it and audiences didn't get it or whatever. (laughs) There is no Metacritic or Cinema score. Overrated or underrated? (laughs) Overrated. Yes. That's really surprising. Yeah. Like, I don't get it, but... So what would you give it? It's real hard for me to take out the rape. Like, for me, like, that's just... There are some fun parts. Our fucking hero, our lighthearted, adventurous, has fun, roguish type guy... Cares about children. That we're supposed to love, yeah, and who loves and helps children and is very caring and every other element of this movie is built around you liking this guy and then this just drops right in the middle and it's such a fucking turnoff like i would not blame anybody for turning the movie off after that yeah i'm gonna give it a 30 wow you thought that was way higher than what i was gonna give it no oh you thought i was gonna give it something higher than that yeah oh I think there are a lot of things that I didn't like about this movie aside from the rape. Right. I I was very surprised about that. I thought that everything that was bad about this movie was like bad in a fun way. 
especially because it's oh so very 80s, including the soundtrack, including the blue screen, including the claymation. It's I thought it was very fun, bad, but still bad. And that did absolutely turn me off. I was thinking more like 60-65. Oh, my God. Right? That's why I'm saying, like, you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right to have this turn you off so much. I, I just don't know that me personally, I wouldn't rate it. Like, it's definitely affecting my rating, and it's affecting my rating a lot. If that wasn't in there, it would be somewhere in the 70s. I'll give it a, a 60. This will this will end up on our biggest differences list at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And it sucks because I don't want it to sound like I loved it. <laughs> Miss Sunshine, please don't hate us. Yes, please don't hate us. Look, Miss Sunshine, I what I assume is that you saw this as a child, and so you have like fond nostalgic memories of it. Yeah. I mean, if I had seen this when I was a kid, oh god, I probably would have right enjoyed up my it alley. right up my alley a lot more. But seeing it now as an adult, I see all of its problems uh, socially, but I also see all of its... The things that, like, annoy you and grate on your nerves. Like, the music. You hated the music. I hated it. I hated it. I also... I hated the special effects. It was super... Like, it just takes me right out of it. I wrote down, and, and, and the way I said it earlier is exactly what I meant when I wrote it down, was the Phoebe Buffet, oh, no. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Oh, no. That rubber suit, man, I was just like, what are you doing? Yeah. This isn't 1950. What are you doing? <laughs> I mean, it could barely move. Right, and then this is also the movie with the blue screen, with the claymation, with the bad monster effects. The animatronics the- at Disneyland in the 50s were yeah. better than this. <laughs> with the with with the silly dream sequences, this is also the movie that tries to tell you that its main conflict is that a dream assassin is trying to kill the president <laughs> because he wants to denuclearize the United States. Like it has something big and political to say. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, wow. Wow. <laughs> I didn't realize I felt so strongly about this movie. <laughs> All right. That was 1984's Dreamscape. Perhaps in another universe, a fantastic movie. <sighs> Before we move on to the next movie, Kelsey, Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition, what's your next question? In what type of accident did Christiane damage her face in Eyes Without a Face from 1960? It was a car accident. That is correct. Yep, yep. Car accident that didn't affect anything else in her body. Yeah. Except for her face. Yeah, and completely ruined it, too. All right, Kelsey, this is a movie that we haven't actually watched and that I haven't seen, but you have. Okay. In The Orphanage, 2007, uh-huh. the imaginary friend of Simon wears a mask made from what? I will tell you now, it's not a material that they're looking for. All I see in my mind is like a silly like paper mask that just kind of looks like a weird face. It's a sack, apparently. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. 
I still haven't seen the orphanage and I really want to because you said good things about it, right? It's pretty good. It's not as good as Pan's Labyrinth. I don't think that he's done anything as good as Pan's Labyrinth. Satan's pretty cool. <laughs> Satan's pretty cool. Satan's pretty cool. Uh, Yeah, it's good. It's worth seeing. It's not really scary at all. But that's the thing. I don't really think his stuff is scary. It's not Guillermo del Toro. He didn't direct it. He produced it. Oh. I had no idea because it's always been called Guillermo del Toro's yeah. The Orphanage. So that's false advertising. Yeah, I, I wish things like this would be more like... Uh, I mentioned Old Boy earlier. Uh, in the original DVD, like American release of Old Boy, there's like a brought to America by Quentin Tarantino. Like they're explicit about how Quentin Tarantino had nothing to do with the making of this movie. <laughs> uh, at least Guillermo del Toro produced the orphanage. But, you know, stop using producers as this person's movie like that really bothers me mm -hmm. because they may have some say in the vision and they may fund it, but they're not the filmmakers and it confuses people intentionally, especially when that producer is known for being a director. Mm -hmm. It is intentionally confusing. Yeah. Brought to you by the minds that brought you such and such. And it's like whenever it says brought you, they're usually talking about producers. Moving on to 2000s. The Cell, written, as I said earlier, by Mark Protasevich or Protosevich, starring Jennifer Lopez, Vince Vaughn, and Vincent D'Onofrio, directed by Tarsem Singh. And oh boy, was this directed by Tarsem Singh. <laughs> if you've seen another Tarsem Singh movie, you know what I'm talking about. He hasn't directed much. Yeah, he hasn't. But the movie that probably people most also know him for after this one uh, is The Fall. Which is a fantastic movie. Yeah, and this was also back when he was just called Tarsum. <laughs> when he was doing that whole, like, one name thing. <laughs> the Fall is a lot of fun. And both of these movies, like, he, he came out of directing music videos, if that tells you anything. He did music videos for Suzanne Vega and Vogue, R.E.M. Uh, so He's a cinematographer, yeah, for sure. Oh, God. Like, he he's all about... Uh, beautiful landscapes and bright contrasting colors that just dazzle your eyes. And fun costumes. Oh, beautiful, over-the-top, ridiculous costumes. Mm -hmm. Like, this is Tarsum. <laughs> like you, you know, you like I. I want him to make more movies, and I don't know where he is. <laughs> uh, the The last thing he did was uh, a TV series uh, called Emerald City, that Wizard of Oz thing that was on uh, a couple years ago. Didn't see it. That we never watched. It was like a ten episode miniseries. Where is he? Did he do something bad? Should we not like him? I don't know. I haven't read up on him. I hope not. <laughs> I hope not too. What is? The Cell about. A woman, Jennifer Lopez, when she was an actress. <laughs> I guess she's still acting, so I can't really say that. She looks incredible in this movie. She does. But boy, is the camera really fucking leery. It made me uncomfortable. But it's supposed certain... to be. No, I mean You're like. You're supposed to be looking at her the way that. These people look at her. When she's alone in her apartment, she's wearing like this button up that's loose and just panties and ah! walking around. And it like takes some moments to focus on her. And it's like, 
oh man, that male gaze is real strong. And I didn't, I didn't even <laughs> notice. I didn't even notice. But maybe so, it's my own guilt. I don't know. <laughs> but so Jennifer Lopez uh, is a child psychologist. Yeah. And they have developed this. Just like in Dreamscape. I'm just going to say it right now. It makes no sense. They don't do anything to try and explain how it works. And that's okay. Because we're never going to be able to enter people's dreams. It's and like that if moment we can, thank you- we'll never understand how we do it. So. It's like that moment in Thank You for Smoking where it's kind of just waved off with like a thank God they invented the whatever. Yes. You know, that lets them smoke in space. <laughs> so cigarettes in space. It's the final frontier, Nick. But wouldn't they blow up in an all-oxygen environment? Probably. But it's an easy fix. One line of dialogue. Thank God we invented the, you know, whatever device. Uh, It's also like in another dream movie that we mentioned earlier, Inception, where it's just like, we have this device. Yeah, exactly. That's all we're going to (laughs) say. And she can go into dreams, and it's supposed to be that she can basically give therapy in dreams and and that's what she does she has therapy sessions with these patients and in particular this whole thing is funded by one very rich man whose son is in a coma and they're trying to figure out why he won't wake up and so she talks to him in his dream when they find a serial killer in a coma they send her in to find out where his latest victim is yep should people watch this movie? Only if you're okay with torture porn stuff. I would argue that this was the stepping stone that took us towards torture porn in the 2000s. I mean, it's a it it has the 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 piercing fetish thing going on for it. Well, it also has what he does to the women, and it also right. has really fucked up things in his dreams. What right. he does what he does to Vince Vince Vaughn. Oh, right. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, So if you're okay with seeing torturey stuff, it's not as bad as like Saw and stuff because, like I said, this is a stepping stone in that direction. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as long I wasn't, I wasn't bothered in the same way I'm normally bothered by like Hostel and Saw. Yeah, because it's not as bad as that, but it's definitely there. Yeah. And if that bothers you, then you will not enjoy this movie. Yes, this is a this is also a movie where bad things happen primarily to women because he's a serial killer who attacks women and does sexual things to them after they're dead. So you also have to watch like child abuse and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a rough watch. It is a rough watch, but it is all at the same time. It's also beautiful. Abuse abuse too. Yes. Like visually speaking, it is a God damned gorgeous movie. It is. It's very, very pretty. It is beautiful. The costumes are beautiful the the sweeping vistas and all of that is just remarkable it's really really well done in that regard but everything that happens in the real world is just a wannabe seven and it is so trite and cliche and their ticking clock is that You know, he's kidnapped a woman but hasn't killed her yet, but she's attached to a device that will kill her. And so they have, like, 48 hours to find out where she is, but the killer's in a coma. And how do they – like, it's like that. It's – it could be just like a bad procedural TV show if it wasn't for the tarsomeness of it all. Yes. So should people watch it? 
Like I said, as long as that stuff doesn't bother you, I would recommend seeing it. Uh, I think it's an interesting film. I think it does interesting things. It's really pretty. And it's entertaining. But like I said, there's a lot of that stuff. And if you're not okay with it, then you definitely don't want to see it. Yeah. But if you haven't seen it and our descriptions make you curious, I would recommend you watch it too. It it's it's something to watch. It's not great. No, it's not. It's not a fantastic movie. But, but it's something to watch. Yes. Like I I don't mean that in like, oh, I guess you could watch something. Mm-hmm. I mean like it's it's quite a thing. Yes. It's not experience. amazing, but it is you're right. It's an experience. Mm-hmm. So you can take our advice or leave it, and when we get back, we will talk about 2000's The Cell. These girls were kidnapped, tortured, and murdered. Our killer is a white male, about 30 years old. He keeps them in this thing for about 40 hours. And after 40 hours, the water starts. And it doesn't stop. There is a girl that is missing. Her name is Julia Dixon. He is the only one knows where she is. If he was conscious, do you think that he would tell you where she is? Are you sure? I'm sure. You bring in this monster, and you're asking her to go into that monster. She's gone very deep into his world. So she's made contact. Kelsey, can you please tell us what happens in the cell? So we open on a beautiful vista. Right away, this is a tarsome ass movie. Yeah, uh, it's in the desert, and just like pristine desert, at with the bluest of deep blue skies you've ever seen. Just like bold, solid colors. Yeah, the sand's like bright orange and yeah. the horse so Jennifer Lopez comes in riding on a horse and the it's horse like is pure white. No, the horse is pure black. Oh, she's Her wearing dress pure, is white. pure white. You're right. And the trees are white. There's like dead trees in the middle of this desert and the trees are white. And then she gets off the horse and the horse becomes like a statue of a horse. Yeah. So we know that this is not real. It's a dream. And that's the beauty of this movie is that there's never a part where you're like, well, that's not what the desert really looks like because it's in a kid's dream. So it doesn't yeah. matter. It's kind of like in the fall where all the beautiful stuff is told in a story. Mm-hmm. So there's a clear delineation between when you get to be all Tarsami and when it's like <laughs> the real world. And he loves doing that and what little he's directed as far as motion pictures go. Yes. And she walks for a long time, and she comes across a little boy. And she asks him, or she's like, I thought we were going sailing today. And a a ship appears, but it's a broken down one. And she says, well, that one's too old. And then a tiny little toy boat shows up. And he says, it's broken. And she says, but we can fix it. And then he says, Mockylock doesn't want me to do that. Mockylock likes me where I am. Mockylock 
It's a, it's a rhyme. I'm pretty sure it's a made-up rhyme because yes. I couldn't find it anywhere. Neither could I. <laughs> I searched my ass off. They mention, what's this Maki Lock? Oh, it's Mother Goose, right? And if you search Maki Lock, Google will give you results of Mother Goose. But nowhere on any of those pages is the word Maki Lock anywhere. In any variation of spelling, anywhere. Predominantly where that term is, is on like old deviant art pages and shit like that because people thought it was a cool name. And I have a huge book of Mother Goose. Yeah. Uh, nursery like rhymes? Nursery rhymes. Yeah. And I've never heard anything like never, that. Never, not even <laughs> once. If you know what this is about, please <laughs> tell us. At Pod Cemetery on Twitter or email us podcemetery at gmail.com. One of my favorite movies when I was a kid was Mother Goose Rock and Rhyme. And I can tell you right now, it's not in that either. So. <laughs> Moki Lok is the boogeyman. Moki Lok wants me where I am. Moki Lok is a pain in the ass. Jennifer Lopez is obviously irritated, and she turns, and he's his face has kind of gone all wonky, and he's become this little monstery monster. Thing. It's just yeah, it's just some weird, stupid distortion effects on his face. What is this little boy's name, Kelsey? Edward. What do they call him in the dream facility? I don't know, Mister E. Oh, that's right, Mister E. I think that's I think he likes to be called that. Because right. she says that, too. She calls him Mr. E. Yeah, well, because they refer to him as Mr. E, as, like, you know, because, he, I mean, he is, a he is like, a test subject, too. But they know who he is, and his name is Edward. But, like, Mr. E, mystery, fucking really? Like, that's what they did for the Riddler in <laughs> Batman. Edward Nigma, Mr. E, Nigma, E Nigma. Like, that's... Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> because he's like a Chris mystery. Chris feels strongly about this. A puzzle this. to unlock. I just wrote down, the only thing I actually wrote down is Mr. E. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I wrote. But so she presses this little thing on her hand and she wakes up and we get to see the facility. And it's extremely similar to Dreamscape. Yeah, where it's just two people lying next to each other, plugged in. I mean, plugged in. In this... They wear a thing over their face. Yeah, it's like a veil. Which She takes it off of her face at one point in the movie, and it, it, it kind of looks like the Shroud of Turin, where, like, a, a face can be seen transposed onto this shroud. Um, I guess that's what they're going for. But it is very, like, it's a technological shroud. Like, you can see circuitry and stuff in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And they don't bother to ever explain how it works, and I'm okay with that yep, because nope, it's same impossible. Thing, <laughs> same thing with uh, Dreamscape. Same thing with Inception. It's aren't you glad they invented this thing? Yeah, <laughs> thank God we invented the you know whatever device. We find out that she's been working with this kid for a year and a half. Yeah, he was in a boating accident, which is why he's so afraid of the boat. Yeah, which and is why she, she's trying to get him to go sailing. Yeah. And he went into a coma. And she's been, according to her, she's been making good progress. But the parents are frustrated because there is zero proof yeah. that any of it works. All it, they have is her word because they have no way of actually, just like in Dreamscape, of knowing what's going on inside the dream. Yes. 
There was another person at one point who did it with them, but apparently the kid did not like having two of them in his right, dreams. Right, so they only do just two people participate at any one time. So, I mean, it's there's proof there. I mean, another person is corroborating her story. But not like the progress that she claims to be making. Right. Uh, but really, this is all just a way to set up the fact that they have three suits and three stations. Exactly. Which is going to come up later. Yes. Wait, can we talk about the suits? We haven't talked about the suits. They're weird looking. They're designed to look like, so they're like full body tight suits to show off Jennifer Lopez's butt and boobs. But it's designed in this really weird, creepy way to where it looks like musculature. Like it's that sort of deep burgundy red and with those lines and crevices, like it's muscular. Um, It's really interesting. And they're suspended. Um, from underneath by these lines that go to the ceiling and then have little cradles underneath, you know, multiple parts of your leg, your arms, your head, and your ass. Kind of hard for me to believe. No, it totally holds. It's light as a feather, stiff as a board. You have enough people holding up very small parts of the body, but key parts of the body, and you can lift an entire body. It's not. And plus, this, these, this is like you know, cabling and stuff. It's strong enough to hold her up and it's holding her and, 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 and the boy in key positions. I just feel like that would be painful. I think you have to get used to it. But as far as I'm aware, this it's all practical. Hmm. I just think it's, it's, it's kind of cool and it's one of the only cool things that happen in the real world in this movie. There are a few other cool things, but that's about it. So that's what we learn about her. Then we get to meet our serial killer, Vincent D'Onofrio. Now, I have a couple of things I'd like to point out here D'Onofrio, before. D'Onofrio, huh? D'Onofrio? That's how I always knew it. I've always said it, D'Onofrio. Yeah. Anyway, I have a few couple things I want to say before we get into his character. A, this is how I know Vincent D'Onofrio. So when I see him in other things, this is what I see. I feel like I've always seen him, like... Full Metal Jacket, like, obviously, right? His first, like, major role was in Full Metal Jacket. Who was he in that? He's the guy that the entire first half of the movie is about. He's That's Pyle. Vincent D'Onofrio? Yeah, the fat kid. Oh, I thought it was some other actor. No, that's Vincent D'Onofrio. Seven, six, two, millimeter. Full Metal Jacket. I hated that movie, so. Oh, God. Fucking Anyway. <laughs> and... I, but I really, really know him as the alien from Men in Black, Sugar. Sugar. I've never seen Sugar do that. Give me Sugar. Yes, I, and I know that <laughs> I've never seen Sugar do that before. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know that's him too, but like this is what I see when I see Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah. So we watch- Daredevil. Daredevil, and, and I'm just Kingpin. like, I just see him- Hanging by hooks, and I see him in his silly costumes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really hard for me to take him seriously. I, I can understand that. <laughs> he was also in Law and Order Criminal Intent, the one Law and Order that where you actually saw the bad guys and what they were doing, which was really weird for a concept, but he was one of the detectives in Law and Order Criminal Intent. So he's been around. He's totally awesome. He seems a little intense. And B... I'd like to point out that when I saw this, it was because my friend Jesse had me see it. And How, if you, why were you traumatizing Kelsey so much, Jesse? <laughs> and if you've been paying attention, listeners, you'll notice that 
She also introduced me to um, Hellraiser. Both movies have characters that like to be hung by hooks. Yes. And if you remember from when I first told you, that was shocking to me when I first saw Hellraiser. Uh And then she had me see this. And I was just like, oh, my God. Haven't we seen, haven't we been somewhere where we saw that live? No. No? But Jesse's seen it. Hi, Jesse. Yeah. I'm exposing your secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Not that Jesse's ever done that. She's, but she's been. But it, you know, it's, they've done that. It's the same concept I was saying earlier. Like, yes, if you were to suspend an entire person from one ring pierced through their skin, it would rip out of their body. But you do it evenly to enough rings, and it distributes the weight, and it's easy. But that feeling of like weightlessness and suspension is they profile him, and they're like. This is a thing he loves because we see he has these rings permanently pierced through his back and his legs and all that. And what he'll do is sorry for being graphic, but after he kills someone by drowning them in this giant tank, he cleans them down. He lays them on a slab. He suspends himself above them and then masturbates over their dead body. And that's how like he gets his kicks. Very intense, I guess. (laughs) He has killed seven women so far in a great quick succession. Carl Rudolph Starger is his name. Yes. Carl? (laughs) Coral? (laughs) And he makes them look like dolls. He bleaches their corpses. And he puts them in collars. Then we find out... So he has this albino dog. So he's, like, obsessed with, like, this kind of clean white look. Yeah. Uh, And he has this albino dog who is supposed to be a German shepherd, but is, in fact, a husky. It is a husky, yes. And he's a beautiful husky. Uh But we find out how he uses his dog. Yeah. So his dog is really well trained. But he he captures a victim. We see him capture a victim on screen. She's alone in a parking garage, and she's walking to her car. And she goes to back up, and the dog makes a whining noise. And she gets out, and it's on the floor whining. And she's really worried about the dog. And she goes to see if the dog's okay. And she turns, and she sees that there's a brick behind her rear tire. That's what she actually hit. Mm -hmm. And... It's that's when she knows there's something wrong, and that's when he attacks her. Yes. Then we meet Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn, who plays Peter Novak, along with his partner, played by Jake Weber, who we knew from Dawn of the Dead, that remake. He's also the husband in Medium. He's in Meet Joe Black. But I, I, I'm, the reason I'm, I'm sticking on Jake Weber is because he plays a character in this movie called Gordon Ramsay. Like the Hell's Kitchen chef guy. (laughs) I just thought that was interesting. (laughs) But so Vince Vaughn, in some of the worst acting I've seen from his career. He's not a good actor. Ladies and gentlemen, Vince Vaughn is not a great actor. You need to put him in very specific roles in order to get a great performance out of him. Did we decide we're not doing a Psycho Double feature? I feel like we decided we're not we never, doing a psycho double feature. We never talked about it after we first mentioned it. Because it's so, so similar to the original, except for a few key differences. But we've done a shot-for-shot shot remake. No, it is it is so close. And here are the only differences, people. 
Vince Vaughn masturbates, <laughs> and he doesn't have nearly as much charisma. <laughs> Those are the two differences between the movies. This is the thing about Vince Vaughn is watch Swingers if you want to see him in a movie where he he's, like, made for that role. Or you could see Return to Paradise, which, okay, I admit Joaquin Phoenix is what sells that movie and makes it yeah. incredible. But Vince Vaughn is very good in it. He's also in Rudy, and he's in, uh, God, The Lost World, colon, Jurassic Park. <laughs> but he also can be hysterical. And in the early 2000s, he had a lot of movies that he was really funny in. I mean, I guess those, like, you know, old school old and school. Dodgeball and he uh, had a bit part in wedding Anchorman. Singers. Wedding Crashers. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> He's so funny But then he just those. started to keep doing movies like that, like The Breakup and Couples Retreat. And it's like, okay, the internship. Uh, just, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Oh, but then he had, like, this resurgence in Brawl and Cell Block 99. People really like him in that. That was just in 2017. So maybe maybe he's coming back. He certainly didn't earn any favors by being in the second season of True Detective. No. Let me tell you. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he's not good in this movie. <laughs> he's really, really not. I, I feel like he's a little bit too young to be playing the role that he's playing in this. Hmm. The hard-boiled detective. He's, like, 25. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't believe – I don't think he's actually 25, but it's like – I just didn't believe it. But so Vince Vaughn is profiling Starger, and he thinks that he wants to be caught. Vince Vaughn Im uh, is implying that Starger wants to stop but can't. It's and an so, obsession. Yeah, and, and so he so wants to be caught. He's being reckless on purpose in hopes of getting caught. Yeah, and when we say reckless, he is – just immaculate with everything, uh, you know, because he bleaches the bodies for one, right? Except, you know, they found a dog, a dog hair. hair on one of the bodies, and it's a very rare type of dog hair because they, they find out through that hair that he has an albino dog, and so, yeah. He wants to be caught. The dog hair thing is sloppy. He leaves Amory Vixie in three inches of water. And uh, he also named his dog Valentine, which was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they they find him. Yes. So, well, first, let's say what happens. So he is he has a seizure, which puts him into a coma. Yeah. And when they find him, it's like, well, fuck, what do we do? Yes. Because they know that he has another victim. Well. And they don't know where she is. And specifically, he has a particular neurological disease that means once he's in a coma, he's never coming out. And that's why they're like, they don't have any hope of like resuscitating him in order to find this girl. He's, for all intents and purposes, he is dead. Yeah. And that disease also is like a form of schizophrenia or something. And it, it the doctor said like, if he has a traumatic event, like, that's going to send him over the edge. And he certainly did have a traumatic upbringing. So yes. no wonder he went as crazy as he did. So we, throughout all this, we see that the girl is, she's not in his property. She's somewhere that we've seen that's in the middle of the desert, um, like a like a water refinery or, I don't know what the fuck it is. Um, 
but it's out in the middle of the desert and she's in this this concrete room and she's in a glass box. Uh, yeah, box, I guess, with like a like a prison bunk a cell. bed. Yeah, it's a cell. Yeah, that's a good point. And um and it's there's cameras set up and all of that and water starts pouring in and then it stops. And it's going to continue to do this, and we're not going to keep checking in with her every time the movie cuts back to her. But effectively, it's getting higher and higher and higher to the point where she's going to be, like, breathing through a little sliver at the very top. So just know that this is the ticking time bomb throughout the movie. Yeah, but she's kind of awesome because she, like what I would hope I would do in a situation like that, she she starts out by crying and, like, being really upset, and then she's like, find a way out. Find a way out. Yeah. Find a way out. And she starts, like, digging at the uh, the ceiling, and she ends up finding a way to keep breathing. Yes. But, of course, she'll eventually get too tired from swimming. Yes. So, like, she, she will eventually die, but she did find a way to make it so that she would last longer. So... This all happens, and they somehow find out about Jennifer Lopez's projects. I don't. I oh, like, the doctor, the doctor. They ask the doctor, "Is there nothing you can do? No recommendation? Any experiments that people are doing on on people in comas that can get them out of comas or whatever?" And he's like, "Well, no, absolutely not." And he's like, "Oh, wait, there is one." How coincidental. Because <laughs> well, I think he either knows Jennifer Lopez or he knows uh, Dylan Baker. But also just coincidental that this happens and they're yes. doing this at the same time. Yes. <laughs> but so at first, Jennifer Lopez is like, fuck, no, I'm not doing that. Like, it would take it takes months. She's talking about how I work with this kid. I've been working with him for a year and a half and. We've made extremely low progress. Like, and you want me to get into the head of a serial killer? Yeah. But Vince Vaughn shows her videos of the women who have been murdered and girls screaming and crying and begging for their parents to be there, etc. Yeah. And so Jennifer Lopez is like, all right, fuck it. I'll do it. So this is where my notes get real short. I have very few things I've written here. I also have very few things that I've written as far as notes are concerned. I mean, I can get us through the plot, but as far as actual commentary, I have very little. I was just watching the whole thing because like like I said earlier, it's just mesmerizing. Yes, it's an experience. Yeah. And it's beautiful and it did not do well. Which baff- I remember seeing it when it came out on it must have been DVD. Uh, early DVD, I guess. I own it on DVD because I bought it. I loved it even back then when I was like 17, 16, maybe. I, I'm really surprised that this movie didn't do well because, like I said, even though... It's not a great It's not movie. a great movie. It <laughs> is not very good. I'm not trying to say that it's a good movie. What I'm trying to say is it's just... It's fascinating. It's enthralling. Yeah. You just, you just want to watch. But again... Like I said, this was a stepping stone into torture porn, and I don't think we were ready for it, and people were like, what the fuck am I watching? Yeah. And then it became all the rage. Yeah. It became acceptable. So, she decides to actually go into his mind. This is where you see all the the crazy shit, right? And we, we find a young boy there that turns out to be Carl. It's his representation of himself as a child. Yeah. It's it's the last time he was innocent, basically. And he was a victim before he decided to be the perpetrator. Or he 
slipped in his mind. And yeah, so we're going to see various representations of Carl. And this is the boy Carl. And then there's like the Dream King version of Carl, the way he imagines himself to be when he feels powerful. And there's the guilty version as well. When it's just like himself. Yes. As he is, as we know him. We see him in three different lenses. So let's just quickly go through what happens to him as a child. Yeah. His mother leaves um, the family. And so he's brought up by his abusive father. And his father is an alcoholic and he beats his son and he shows his son that women are worthless by like talking about this naked lady that's sitting in his living room and at the same time and he yells at his son for playing with dolls and uh he he beats him really he bad. thinks he's gay yeah. and he has him baptized but like he's like held underwater for way too long and that's when he has his first seizure yeah which i think the implication is that that's when he kind of went over in sch- well, schizophrenia yeah because that's that's like what he sees underwater like he has a hallucination underwater while he's having this seizure and he's almost dying being held under the water. And that's why he's obsessed with like, like he sees, it's implied that he sees like an angel in quotes underwater. Um, that's why he keeps putting these women in these, in these tanks and drowns them. Cause seeing them alive underwater and then dead, it, like it's this thrill that takes him back to that point. The last time he was truly innocent and forgiven as the case may be. Yeah. So this comes in multiple sessions. She gets attacked by the Dream King. I, I'm not going to go in depth into all the visuals and stuff like that. You really need to just see it if you want to get or Google it. If you I, get I would I, see, I would sit here and I would describe all the visuals. It's so. too much and it doesn't do it justice. That's true. But so, yeah, and I have written down, just get back to the dreamscape. Yes, <laughs> so every time she comes out, I'm just like, what the fuck? I don't care. She, th- in the real world, they notice that her heartbeat's getting erratic and she's starting to like shake and stuff like that. And she she is finally able to get out. And then she doesn't want to go back in and Vince Vaughn convinces her to go back in. And so she goes back in, only this time she doesn't make it out. Yeah, she uh, she believes that it's real and that's the problem is you have to always be aware that you're in a dream because if your mind starts believing that it's real then number one you can't get out because you don't know you can get out and number two anything that happens to you in the dream happens to you in real life like an inception exactly or in dreamscape yes yeah, so it's if it happens in the dream, it happens for real. <laughs> if you die in the dream, you die in real life. Uh, so she does forget that it's a dream, and he ends up capturing her and taking her prisoner. And they know this, and they can't just shut it off because it's too dangerous. And this is when Vince Vaughn is like, "There's another suit," and Dylan Baker's like, "Yes." So <laughs> like that was when we had another person go into the dream, and he's like. Well, then somebody needs to go in the dream. And it's like, we can't. We need to operate this and keep them alive. (laughs) And he's like, well, then fuck it. I'll do it. And so he decides he's going to do it. When he first comes in, he sees these three versions of the mother figure, which even when I first saw this as a kid, I thought was probably the most interesting thing. How they're just mouths open at the sky. 
not well I didn't I never I've never understood what that was supposed to I think it's a reference show. to a painting. I mean that all three of them, although they look exactly the same, are completely different ideas. One is the loving mother who misses her son. Mm-hmm. One is the one who abandoned him and hates him. And I don't remember what the third one yeah, was. Uh-huh. But uh, I love I love that idea. I love that he is super conflicted. And it's a it's a really as far as I would imagine, that is what a schizophrenic person's mind would be like. Have you seen him? My boy. My little one. His father took him from me. You have all these different versions of things, and it's like it's just whatever your brain decides to go with for the day. And to be clear, we're not talking about dissociative identity disorder. No. He doesn't have multiple personalities, but his mind is fractured. Mm-hmm. So Vince Vaughn ends up tracking her down, and he finds her, and she's in this beautiful outfit in this beautiful room. And she has a She has a collar, collar on. Yeah. And she's just st- sitting there just smiling at him. Uh-huh. Which is what he wants. That's what he wants. He wants a beautiful, perfect woman. To not, never leave. Never be able to yes, leave. Yes. Who just, who just is, worships him. Yeah. And she is kind of seducing Vince Vaughn. And he's like, we got to get out of here. But he's also kind of a little into it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when he gets attacked by the Dream King version of in a very Carl. silly outfit, <laughs> I felt that one was well, and a little he is, over the top. He is silly and over the top. Yes, th- this one is like because the first one we see where the curtains all around the room are attached to the the rings his in his cape. back, and so when he gets up, it drags the curtains around. It's oh, it it's really bad CG, like like Spawn's cape in the movie Spawn <laughs> with Michael Jai White and uh, John Leguizamo, but. It's still like this be- gorgeous concept of him walking away and pulling these curtains along behind him. And he's topless but wearing a skirt and he has the horn hair and it's really cool. I said I wouldn't Hate describe it, but hair. here I am. Hate it. Uh, so in this one, he's like he's like all gold and white and he has this crown and he's all very, very foppish. <laughs> you know, he's like that. And he grabs him and slams him down on this table and straps him down and cuts open his stomach and then rolls his intestines around basically on a spit, like a spiked spit, like you might, you know, put a roast on over a fire. And he's just like rolling Vince Vaughn's intestines out. And he needs to remember, number one, this isn't real. And number two, he needs to get Jennifer Lopez to remember that it's not real so she can do something about this. Yeah, and he's just screaming at her, trying to get her to wake up. And he reminds her of something and i can't remember what it, what it is he tells her something that she oh, about told him. like yeah what like her deepest darkest secret or her dream or whatever it, it doesn't matter he he wakes her up <laughs> yes by reminding her that it's a dream and uh and she manages to save him and they wake up but in the dream he saw a symbol that he recognized and so he calls the officers on the scene at carl's house and it's like, I remember this symbol. It was on the chains that are in his basement on the on the the machine that he had built for himself uh, to to hold him up. And they find it, and they find out what the symbol refers to, like 
like what company or facility it's from. And he's like, ah, we need to track this place down. And it is this rundown kind of warehouse, small facility in the middle of the desert. So he goes out there with the cops real quick. And Jennifer Lopez is still like, ah, fucking, ah. Okay, so Vince Vaughn saves the girl. And while this is happening, uh, Jennifer Lopez without anybody's consent or like without anybody's permission or whatever puts uh D'Onofrio into her mind. Yes. And it's very much like a welcome to my world, bitch. Yes. So it <laughs> it is. Uh it, the idea was floated earlier on in the movie with the kid if they can put him into her mind she can have more control. And they but said he it was wasn't, too dangerous. He wasn't ready for that yet. If you put somebody into somebody else's mind and they don't know that that's going to be happening, it can be very dangerous. But she's like Fuck this guy. And she wants to save the child version. Yes. She yeah. promised him she would come back for him. Exactly. Even though this child doesn't exist anymore, it's in the mind of an awful human being who is virtually dead anyway. She feels like she needs to figure this out and she needs to – She she's, she's kind of immediately obsessed with this. So she brings him into her world and so while Vince Vaughn is rescuing this girl – in, in a very cliche way, like I said, it feels like it's seven. <laughs> like it wanted to be Dreamscape and seven and mashed together. Yeah, right? I wrote some Hellraiser shit right here is what I wrote. <laughs> yeah, so there ends up being like this whole fight against the Dream King version of Carl. And she's trying to save the boy version of Carl. And the fight seems so superfluous and unnecessary, like they needed something going on in the dream world while the we're at the end of the countdown and the real world is happening. You know, they needed to cut back and forth to something else and that there needed to be some sort of payoff in the real world. But ultimately, it leads to nothing anyway. <laughs> like she succeeds. Yeah, she like, I think she kills the dream king. Yeah, and I think Carl ends up dying yeah, he he dies because she kills the king. You die in the dream, you die in real life. Yes. To save the girl, like Kelsey said. But now she has proven that the technique really works and that reversing the flow also works. How she's proven this, who fucking knows? Because even Vince Vaughn is like, I don't know if it was real or not. I was like, what? Well, and then nobody was in her mind with him. How does anybody know? It's still just her word, just like it was at the beginning. But since they used it to find the girl, they've proven that it's real, like what's going on in there. Like, but so, like I said, Vince Vaughn just is like, I don't know. Well, yeah, because they chalk it up to he's a good detective. <laughs> you know, they won't admit that anything was done, you know, using weird, freaky dream science. <laughs> so it's just, you know, he just remembered something that he saw on the scene and he was a good detective. And that's how they solved the case or whatever. But this rich family that's funding this whole operation to save Edward. Okay, we're going to try it again because obviously it works, right? And so they allow her to reverse the flow and bring Edward into her mind. And it's the same scene. Because apparently, this was not originally intended to be in her mind. This was still supposed to be part of Edward's mind. And they edited it out of the movie. And when they wanted a scene in her mind, they did the same thing. Except they put blossoms on all the trees. 
and they change the colors a little bit. And that's all CG. And the idea is that, oh, she designed a world like the one he had designed. So it doesn't like so it doesn't freak them out. Yes. But it's also more full of life and beautiful because she wants to make it an even better place for him. And she gets to work further with this boy, which is really what she wants to do. She is a child psychologist and she's a a, a dream walker. <laughs> <laughs> And she gets to continue doing that. And then it ends with her and Vince Vaughn, basically, like, they're going to go on a date or yeah, some right, shit. Right, right, and she's right. wearing a really stupid poncho. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of the movie. Yes. Lightning round, Kelsey. We talked about how we didn't have a lot of notes. Yeah. I mean, honestly, most of the stuff that I didn't I didn't mention was imagery stuff. So, yeah. If you don't want to get I mean, into that. It is a bizarre movie, but the plot beats are really straightforward. There's not a lot going on in the actual story. Yeah, it's a very simple story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, not a lot happens, but it's just, it's an excuse to make some beautiful shots. Yeah, <laughs> the acting and the script both can be pretty dang cheesy. It's not a great script. Um, yeah, it's just a showcase for some incredible... Uh, art direction and cinematography and direction in general and like this man's vision i guess yeah i mean every time it's in the dream world you're just aside from the horrible abuse that you have to sit through with the kid you're transfixed when you watch the dreams yeah so what do you think it got on rotten tomatoes well like you said i know it didn't do very well uh so i'm gonna guess a 40 46% 46% on Rotten Tomatoes, 40 on Metacritic, a C-plus cinema score. The Rotten Tomatoes critical consensus is the cell offers disturbing, stunning eye candy, but is undermined by a weak and shallow plot line that offers nothing new. Yeah. It's, that's dead on. Yeah. That's that's exactly what we're talking about here. But 46. Underrated. Underrated, Yeah. I'm going to give it a 65. I would give it a 75, I think. Wow. (laughs) No, it's just, I'm not here for the plot. (laughs) You know? I know, I know. It's just, it's, I mean, let me tell you that 65 is basically all visuals. Yeah. And how hot Jennifer Lopez is, isn't it? (laughs) She really is. This is like peak Jennifer Lopez, and she's not, she's good in some things, She's okay in this. The only thing I can think of that she's good in is Selena, and I think that's only because she's playing Selena. (laughs) (laughs) Now that you've put me to it, now I've got to figure out what it is that I actually like her in that she's good in, because it's certainly not Gigli. Is it Made in Manhattan? It might be. Is it The Wedding Planner? Maybe. (laughs) Jesus, she's in a lot of music videos, obviously, but they count each of those as a thing she's been in on IMDb. <laughs> Let's see what else. Hey, look, I had on the six, I had that album. So on the six, that's the name of her album. One of her albums, yeah. Never heard of it. That's the one that has the famous songs like "Waiting for Tonight" and stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, what little she's in of Jersey Girl. I don't remember her in Jersey Girl. She plays... um, She the wife who died? Yes. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. Um, Monster in law. <laughs> Monster in law actually was kind of funny. I, I the will, backup I will plan. What to expect? Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe she's just not any good. Like I said, when I think of good Jennifer Lopez, I think of Selena. And again, I think it's because she's Selena. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Huh. I heard she's good in second act recently. Oh. But that it's a bad movie, but she's the only good thing in it or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. I actually think she's fine in the cell. I don't think she's I don't think she's as bad as Vince Vaughn. No. But like when Jennifer Lopez aside from Vincent D'Onofrio, is the, you're the best actor in your movie. And only Vincent D'Onofrio, because he gets to do the weird shit. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily call what he does good acting. Because he doesn't act a lot. No, he's just he, bizarre. He's just yeah. weird. He just, he puts on a caricature a lot, uh-huh. and then once or twice we see him as this sad, pathetic dude. Like, <laughs> that's pretty much it. <laughs> okay, fine. I will give it a 72. I think you've convinced me to lower my rating a little bit here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is 2000's The Cell. And that finishes our dream week. <laughs> what are we watching next week, Kelsey? It's Valentine's Day. Is it really shit? <laughs> so. Uh, are we doing two weeks of Valentine's Day? No, because there are like no Valentine's Day horror movies. The two we did last year are basically the only two. I thought we could do one. The two weeks of Valentine's Day we did last year. Yeah. Oh, you're right. So the four movies that yeah, we did uh, last year, sorry, were it. <laughs> yeah. We drained that real fast. So um, we're we're gonna focus on twisted love stories, I yes. think, right? Yeah. So what are we, we doing? We were gonna do something else. I could do <laughs> an entire like the whole episode could be just Kelsey and I sitting here talking about how the movie that we watched, whether or not it is a horror movie. <laughs> And that we watched a movie that she was intending on on doing for the show, and at the end, I was like, "Could we not?" <laughs> because it's just, I'm not going to get into it. It's just not a horror movie in my mind. And this is after Kelsey makes her big stand about how The Burbs isn't really a horror movie. <laughs> but I'm like, but at least there are horror elements, and it's referencing horror movies. There's like nothing in. Picnic at Hanging Rock. According to Chris, there's nothing in it that is an element of horror, and I disagree. No, it's a drama. <laughs> it's a mystery, but not every mystery is a horror. And that's okay, because I don't think I could sit through the entire... The We watched the first episode of the Amazon so Prime miniseries. The film. So the reason that we watched this so early, guys, is because we I knew, we, yeah. we knew that we were going to be doing a six-hour um, mini series version of it. Yeah. So we were watching it ahead of time. Um, so we watched the original Picnic at Hanging Rock, and Chris was like, "This is not a horror movie." And like, we- I don't know. The entire episode would just be me talking about how it's not a horror movie. Don't get me wrong; it is beautiful, and it is kind of just beauty for beauty's sake, which is okay. But it's 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 one of Australia's most famous films, 
and really like where it came out as like, hey, Australia can make amazing cinema. And it is a beautiful movie, but it just infuriated me throughout because I'm like, where is the horror? Why are they obsessed with this girl? So, <laughs> like, <laughs> so we, we, I got Chris to watch the first episode of the six hour miniseries and we were just like, ah, no. No, can't do it. <laughs> so instead, we are going to watch some twisted love stories. Which usually don't get us wrong again. It doesn't mean that it's actually a love story. It's like we're talking like stalker tales and stuff like that. Yes. So we are going to watch Play Misty for Me. Which is Clint Eastwood's directorial debut. I I didn't know he directed it. He did, and it was the first movie he directed. (gasps) He's directed a ton of movies that you probably didn't know he directed. And... This is his first one, but I've never seen it. I've never I, I've I've seen parts of it. I haven't seen the whole thing. Yeah, it's about a radio DJ who has in it a secret admirer that goes too far, <laughs> right? A stalker. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then and for our new movie, we're going to watch Swim Fan. Yes, I was now, thinking we both thought of Swim Fan for this pairing. Now, some of you might be wondering, well, why the heck aren't you doing Fatal Attraction with Swim Fan? And that is because. We've both seen Fatal Attraction. It's super famous. Everyone's seen it. Chris has never seen Play Misty for me. I've only seen parts of it. And it just seems like... We kind of wanted to We wanted to do something new, so... (laughs) Not to say that we won't do Fatal Attraction. We might do it. We might do it. We might do it next Valentine's Day. All those weird stalkery movies that came out in the 80s and 90s. (laughs) The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Single White Female. Single White Female. (laughs) You know, all of those. Yeah. So... We might do it in the future. So this time we're doing Play Misty for Me and Swim Fan. Yeah. All right. That is next week. Until then, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com. That's where we keep all of our episodes as well as a list of every movie we've ever had on the show with beautiful poster art. Uh, So you can find a movie that you like there if you're browsing our backlog. It's the easiest way to do it. Uh, You can leave a comment there on any episode. You can share your thoughts on the movies or recommend one or two for us to cover in a future episode. You can also do that via email. You can write us at podcemetery at gmail.com. Also, please follow us on Twitter at podcemetery. Oftentimes, I'll add comments or photos. I'll almost certainly be adding photos from the cell that I'll link to in the description of this episode. Uh, I do that all the time. We also oftentimes will live tweet, we'll share good articles or stories or other tweets that other people are doing. So I'd recommend you follow us there. Don't forget to, guys, thank you so, so much. Rate, review, subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Five-star written reviews are the absolutely most effective thing that you can do for us uh, as far as getting us visibility. So thank you very much. We've had some really good reviews lately. Uh, I shared those on my personal Facebook. I'll probably share them on our Twitter as well because they're really sweet. Thank you guys so much for those. But even bigger than that, even more meaningful, share us with your friends. And even more meaningful than that, thank you guys really for listening in the first place. We absolutely appreciate it and we love you all very much. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Mocky Lock is the boogeyman. Mocky Lock wants me where I am. Mocky Lock is a pain in the ass.
Cards and your microphone is in place. Hold on. I said, let me know. Let you know. Yes, please. I hate you. I love you. But it's absolutely green. Good job. Haha. Verde. Really? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. <laughs> What? (laughs) You're a dick. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, God. (laughs) Can we get to Dreamscape, please? (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. I would like to remind our listeners. <laughs> this isn't going. It's going at the end. <laughs> what would you like to remind the listeners about? What's his Dennis Quaid? I always, I always Randy listen. Quaid. Yeah, <laughs> and Randy Quaid. Fuck. And Dennis Quaid, full body tight suits to show off Jennifer Lopez's uh, butts and boobs. <laughs> Butts, 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 and boobs. Butts, all of her butts. <laughs> <laughs> or what? Return to Paradise, or whatever it's called. Paradise Lost. I can never remember what it's fucking called. I've said it once. I've said it a thousand times. Nobody needs helicopter views of freeways anymore. We all have the internet. Fucking helicopters. We're so close to being done. Mares eat oats and does eat oats and little lambs eat ivy. A kid will eat ivy too, wouldn't you? I'd like you to do that one, but I'd like you to do it the way it's supposed to be done, and I don't think you're going to do that, so. How do you do it? Mares eat oats and oats eat- Mares eat oats and goats eat oats and little lambs eat ivy. A kid will eat ivy too, wouldn't you? Mares eat oats and does eat oats and... No, 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 (laughs) This is important to me because my grandmother would sing this to us all the time and we loved it. And it just reminds me so much of my poor grandmother. So it's important to me. (laughs) That I won't fucking do it. That's what I said. Maybe I'll end it with the song Mary's Eat Oats and Goat's Eat Oats that they play at the end of the cell. Mary's Eat Oats and Dozy Oats and the Little Lambs Eat Ivy. A kid will eat Ivy too, wouldn't you? You just do not have the rhythm at all. Mary's Eat Oats and Dozy Oats and Little Lambs Eat Ivy. A kid will eat Ivy too, wouldn't you? Da 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 and little lambs eat ivy. No, it's little lambs and little lambs eat ivy. You're not putting this. You're you're slowing down the fast parts and speeding up the slow parts. <laughs> Sorry. It's a part of Yeah. All right. Cool.